Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Oderico, and joining me is LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network, bringing you some of the best golfers, teacher professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee and let's get started. All right, good morning, everybody, and again, welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and unfortunately, Cindy is not with us this morning. She is off playing in an event for charity uh, this morning, so she will not be joining us, but uh, I've got two great guests that will be joining me here in just a moment. Uh, first up is going to be Kim Kaufman. She is the winner of this past weekend's Metatours Four Wins Invitational. I'll bring her out in just a second, and then a little bit later on, uh, joining me is LPJ Class A teacher professional, Rebecca Heinmert. She's going to be joining me on the second half of the show. But uh, thank you, everybody, for joining me this morning. And let me just remind everybody that the uh, sponsors of the Women of Golf is brought to you by iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And, of course, Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, Tips from top PGA and LPGA teaching professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. So subscribe today. Go to golftipsmag.com. All right, as I mentioned, I've got a great uh, guest to start things off this morning. Uh, she won this past weekend's Four Wins Invitational. Uh, her name is Kim Kaufman. She's a native of Clark, South Dakota. She was also a medalist for Texas uh, Tech University at uh, the 2012 Landfall Tradition, 2013 Women's Golf Coast Association Second Team All-American, uh, also top five in the Golf Week Saragin Fall 2012 Collegiate Rankings for the first uh, earned her, t- uh, t- excuse me, her Semester membership as a uh, 2013 rookie. Uh, she's won two other uh, events uh, besides this one here. We'll talk to her about that and more. Uh, please welcome my very special guest this morning, Kim Coffin. Good morning, Kim. Oh, good morning, Ted. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. And for some reason, I don't know why, that always goes a lot smoother, and for some reason, my tongue got tied this morning, but <laughs> so my apologies. It's, that's what happens. See, that's what happens when you get on air, you talk too much, and uh, these things happen. But welcome to the show, and first and foremost, congratulations on another win. And um, we were talking off air, and you said that even though you'd won two other events a few years ago, this kind of felt like uh, a first win again. Explain. Yeah, so I won in uh, 2013 and 2014 on Symmetra, um, and then I went on and I've played the LPGA the last six years, and the last two seasons for me have been a bit of a struggle. Um, I just really kind of lost my game and lost my confidence. So over this this break that we've had from the pandemic, I just really um, just committed to changing a few things and working really hard. So coming out and having a win really felt like, kind of felt like my first win again. It felt like I was restarting my, trying to restart my career a bit, so um yeah, it had just been so long, but it was, it was super exciting and just nice to see that work pay off. I, I can I can imagine. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. We uh, when the season first started, of course, we had the winner on from the very first Symmetra event this year, and then lo and behold, uh, everything started closing up, and we literally, um, the, at least I did, the sunny night before the next event, 
we got notification that the tour was, was basically closing down until further notice and that absolutely no interviews were going to be happening at all, um, just as you know, a, a, a further step. So um, we were obviously very disappointed because we've, we've had the pleasure of interviewing um, you know, uh, great young ladies like yourself each week. Uh, we've been doing this for about five years now on the show and really enjoy it. So we were really disappointed that we weren't getting the winners coming in each week, but, um, but obviously it wasn't as disappointing as it was for, for you ladies. So tell me when you, when you first heard the news, um, what was your reaction? Was that kind of something that you expected, do you think, uh, or was it uh, a little bit of a shock? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I remember that vividly, you know, that the night before golf canceled, we were watching the basketball game. Um, and I saw her watching that, you know, the, I think it was the jazz player tested and it was, just, we were watching the Dallas game still play and it was kind of unfolding. And I'm sitting here with my husband. I thought, man, this is crazy. And while we're sitting there, we have booked a rental car to go to Phoenix for the LPJ event. And we're like, you know, we're going West coast next day, wake up. And I'm, I'm trying to practice, but I'm getting all these texts and all these calls just from friends. Like, what do you think what's going on? And like, you know, talk about the men and sawgrass. And finally I said, I gotta, I'm not practicing. Like I gotta go home. We're just like trying to, <laughs> you know, get some information. I, mean, I, was, I was so unfocused. We thought, is this going to happen? Are we, are we going to cancel? And sure enough, that, you know, later that afternoon, we got an email saying we're not going to go. And I, I was totally shocked, I think, which, which is kind of funny because we had canceled, like, our Thailand, Singapore, China weeks on an LPJ, which, you know, happened, sure. like, in January. So we were definitely a little bit more aware of it, I think, because we definitely were over there. Mm-hmm. But I just think there was this idea that like it's over there, you know, like it's over in China and Asia and it's not it's not here in the US. And uh obviously that was naive to think of us because the way people travel. So um yeah it was and then you know it was like three weeks at a time and I was like, okay, well, we're gonna go to Hawaii. Like, I have a friend that was coming to Hawaii with me and I'm like, oh well for sure go to Hawaii. Hawaii canceled. You know, it just kept it just kept going. And I got mm-hmm. to the point eventually I'm like, I don't know if we're ever gonna play again. It's funny how it you kind of switches over. So <laughs> Definitely a weird time, but I also tried to just enjoy it because when else have I ever had, like, a summer off? Like, I spent the 4th of July at home, and I thought, you know, I haven't done that in 10 years. So there was also, you know, some good things that you tried to take out of it. Right, exactly. Well, you have to. I mean, you know, otherwise you're, yeah. you'd are you be pulling your hair out just, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. because you're, you're there. You're, you're Well, you're competitive by nature. That's why you're doing what you do. So let me, you know, go back a little ways, uh, several years. Um, to when you first began playing golf. Talk a little bit about how that happened. How did you get introduced to golf, and what was it about golf that appealed to you? So, yeah, I started playing golf when I was four years old, so I was one of the, the young ones that started. And um, honestly, my, my parents, they're from South Dakota, like, you know, farming, rural uh, town, and my parents had a farm, and they had, they had to sell the farm. So they moved to my mom's hometown, um, which had about a thousand people, um, Clark, and it had a nine hole golf course though. So my dad, who's, you know, probably 30 at the time thought I'll take up playing golf. Well, he played little, very little. Cause he had two little girls that thought it was more fun to come with him. Um, instead of him playing. So <laughs> I was four and my sister was six and we would go out and, you know, my dad, my parents were not golfers at all. My mom has never golfed, but they, I always say they always gave us the opportunity, you know, can you get home from work and we go straight to the golf course? You know, we live, I mean, it's, like I say a super small town, so we just got in our car and drove over. Um, and then I think the really big thing that changed, you know, maybe the path of me playing golf was I was five years old and we had a South Dakota Golf Association like clinic in, in Clark. This guy came to give a clinic and I was I mean I was I was five, my sister was seven. But oh this guy was really good. Like we really liked him and he was just trying to start giving lessons. Um his name is Todd Cole and he was in Sioux Falls, which is about two hours. So when I was like six on we would meet halfway 
um, he would give us lessons. And, you know, to this day, he's still my golf coach. So 20, 22, 23 years later, um, it's been a pretty cool journey. And he's had, you know, he became a very well-known teacher and a great teacher, but we really started together. Wow, that's great. Um, so what were some of the things that he taught you along the way that to this day really sticks with you? Obviously, I mean, you've learned a lot over the years, but there's always, you know, maybe one or two or maybe even three things that really stick out that uh, your coach has said to you, okay, Kim, this is what you need to do and this is what you need to focus on and don't worry about this over here. What were some of the things that he taught you that have really stuck with you? Yeah, I mean, he honestly taught me everything about the game. Like I say, my parents were not golfers, but that was the best thing about it. But I think he always was one – he was great for me because I, you know, growing up in South Dakota, there's not obviously a huge golf scene. And, you know, we'd go out and maybe play a U.S. girls junior or something. And my, I don't think I had any confidence in it, but he always, you know, came like, you belong there. I remember going to college to Texas tech and thinking, Oh, if I could just make the team. And I think I won the first qualifier and he said, Kim, like, that's what you should be doing. He always knew and he always believed in me and always told me those things. And like I say, in these past couple of years, it's been hard. Like you remember that. And, and he's still telling me those things. So, um, but even like little things, like he'll tell me if I'm struggling on short putts, we used to do this little count, like a one, two, three, four, as you put it in, I, I'll still bring that back out and use that. So, um, I mean, there isn't anything I know in golf that honestly that Todd didn't teach me. What was, um, what area of the game, um, have you struggled with the most in your career? Uh, and what seems to, um, we know golf is hard, but some some have an easier time with their iron play. Some struggle with their putting, and so on and so forth. What's the easiest part of your game that you really have solid, and what area still gives you a little bit of difficulty at times? I've always been just a just a straight ball hitter. Like I've never, I don't, I don't hit it super long. I hit it, you know, long enough, I would say. But I think my short game, especially in the last couple of years, or even in, I mean, I was the worst bunker player in college. Like if I got a bunker up and down, I think the team got like dessert. Like I was so bad in the bunker, and everyone knew it. <laughs> I just avoided them. But uh, when you're a good iron player, you don't usually. But oh my gosh, I was awful. Then you get on tour, you realize you can't have that bad a bunker play. So I've really like worked on my bunker, but I've, my chipping still gives me trouble um, a little bit at times. I just have bad habits. I go back to a lot. Um, and I and, and putting has been up and down. I can I've been very good putter at times with a very good putter in college and then I've also kind of been on the other end of it and that's something I really recommitted myself to working on this off season that's really I would say off season this break <laughs> that um that has really paid off now you mentioned a few moments ago that you said you really struggled the last few years leading up to this win um which I know for many players we've we've interviewed you know probably a hundred symmetrical players over the last five years. And many of them have had the same thing where they just, you know, nothing was working. Everything was sort of the, the wheels literally were falling off the bus. And then there was almost like a switch went off instead of just trying to grind it out so much. They just said, you know what, I'm just going to come out here and have fun. Not going to worry about this, not going to worry about that. And lo and behold, their first win would come literally the week after was that similar for you in the sense, obviously you'd already had a couple of wins, but was that kind of uh, for this week coming in, this past weekend's win, was that kind of similar for you where you just said, you know what, I know I've got the game, I've, I've done it before, I just need to go out there, focus on the things I need to, but I'm going to have fun doing it? Yeah, I, I, I think a little bit. I mean, about a year ago, about a year and a half ago, I, I started working with a new mental coach, and that was, that was big. And We've worked a lot in a year 
But at the same time, so I've played the last seven weeks in a row. This was my seventh week. And I kept playing really good on the first day. And I would play great in the first day, and then I'd kind of like, uh, like, you know, even one under. And I, you know, I finished okay, but it was like I wasn't really following through. So I got to this week. I played great on Friday. I was leading the tournament. And I mean, I had a joke with the Sumatra media girl. Kept coming up to interview me. The first. She's like, Kim, I kind of want to see you on Sunday. I said, yeah, I really want to see you too. I keep seeing you the first day. <laughs> I don't see you again. Um, but I, I did. I finally told myself, you know, I'm like, gosh, Kim, like, just, just have some – have the attitude that, you know, you have some confidence in your ability as a player and the ability of your work. I, I have to just kind of let the stress and the pressure, you know, I keep putting on myself go because it's not working clearly. And I think that was, that's always been a way for me. I do something long enough that doesn't work. You eventually say, okay, snap out of it. Like, you know, stop trying so hard, stop striving for it so much. Um, and I think I, I yeah, I, I did that, you know, well this week, but it took me about seven weeks of doing the opposite to finally get there. <laughs> Well, I think what happens a lot of times is you put undue pressure on yourselves. I mean, this is what many of the others have said is, you know, they're out there, maybe their putting's letting them down, maybe their bunker plays, you, you've said that you struggle, you know, here and there with, um, kind of gets the best of them. And they figure, well, I just got to grind it a little harder. I got to do it a little bit more and I've got to do this, man, practice harder and do this harder. And ultimately what ends up happening is they actually get into uh, a funk for a lack of better words. And then something inside them says, you know what, I'm not having fun. And when I'm not having fun, I don't want to be out here. In fact, we've had many that actually came to the point where they said, you know what, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. But something changed in their mindset um, that allowed them to be able to change their, their attitude and go out there. And as I said, then they started to see that success. So I think from a mental standpoint, and, and you can attest to this, it can be very challenging, especially, as you said, you, you know, seven weeks in a row here, uh, you're grinding it out, and sometimes you're not always seeing the results you would like. What do you say to yourself when you're out there on the course and things aren't going well to get you back on track? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I've seen it, you know, every year I see it with, with rookies or with anyone. I mean, it happens to girls every year on, on every level and, and guys, I'm sure where you just, you start to lose it and you mm -hmm. just, it's just a, it's just a spiral. And one thing that I was not good at is I would, yeah, it's the last year that I would just practice more and more and more. And I got into this, this rhythm of like, let's say I went just, just on a Tuesday of an off week, I had a rain session. It didn't go well. Well, I would like carry that with me. Like, well, if I'm not hitting on the range well here, like I'm not going to play well next week. And just became just a terrible, just like down the rabbit hole. And, Honestly, I was having a conversation with one of my good, like, veteran LPGA tour friend, and she's like, that's when she said, Kim, you just got to have you – know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It does not matter how you hit it on Tuesday the week before or, you know, even the day before you go out and play. You don't need perfect iron. You know what I mean? That's what I, I had to finally accept that, like, it doesn't have to be perfect to go right. out and shoot a great round. We all know we've all hit it great on the range and gone out and shot, you know, our worst round. So, but I kept – I just right. started getting a bad habit of carrying everything with me, Um and I've finally let that go a little bit. I mean, I've definitely let that go. And that has been kind of a huge game changer as well. Yeah, I think you have to. And, and it's difficult, especially when you're out there and you're grinding it. And, and especially with this season, because you've had such a, a long layover between uh, starting back up with the tour. So you're, you're trying to figure, okay, what do I do to keep my game sharp? I'm not playing week in, week out um, like I have been. Um, the tours are shut down. So what am I going to do to keep myself engaged enough that when we do start back up i'm going to be competitive yeah um some yeah. you know what i mean so you're you're thinking yeah. that you're yeah, yeah. and and that's but something i, I think a lot, a lot of, of players just... right go ahead sorry 
I said, I know a lot of girls that, you know, they put their clubs away and said, I'm going to put them away and I'm going to get them out, you know, four weeks at a time. And I thought, okay, I could do that, but I really think I have some things to work on. Like, I think I could use this time. So I kind of, you know, like I said, I made some changes where it's like, I maybe didn't putt great right away, but I had the time finally, you know, before when you're, things aren't going well and you got to tee it up every week, you're just kind of looking for like a bandaid. Like what, what can I just like get through this week and get through the next week? Um, and that's why I think part of it, you start to spiral, but so I started making some changes where it's like, I know I might not see great results right away, but it'll come when I have the time. And, and I also just played, um, we have like a, like a weekend game here at my club and I played that every week. And I'm tell you what, when you're home for four months, you wake up on the weekend, you feel like you're going to play the US Open. Like you're so excited. Like I can't wait to go play this little <laughs> handicap game with the, you know, the members of my club that I love. And we had, and it was great though. It was great for me. Um, we had some really good players and, uh, you know, you put like 60 bucks and you don't want to lose 60 bucks or 120 bucks every weekend playing it twice. So, um, I felt lucky and I feel like I, I did feel like I had a little bit of a, not an edge, but I feel like, you know, I was, had played a little bit of competitive golf, um, prior to our, to our restart. Let me ask you, um, uh, we talked off air about, uh, the LPJ. You, you obviously had earned status. And a lot of people get confused that, and this was what we were talking about. And so I want you maybe just to explain a little bit. You don't have to get into all the details, but um, there's obviously different status uh, types, if you will, um, with the LPGA. And some of it's conditional, some of it's not. Um, explain a little bit what does it mean. You earned your status, I believe yeah. it was in uh, uh, 2014. And what does that mean? Was that full status? Was that uh you know what what was the the um scenario and and explain the difference yep so like my first five years six years out on tour i had always finished in the top 80 which in which is always great full status and really in, in the top 100 on lpj you have full status um the last two seasons i was finishing like 120 125 which meant i had to go back to q school so when you go to q school it'll say that you get that 45 cards are given out. And that's true. 45 girls will get status. But in reality, only the top 20 are really high enough in their, on the list to play every single event. So, like, I finished 30th last mm-hmm. year at Q School, which means translated into my priority number, which everything was off the priority list to start the year especially, was 159. So, okay, it's not terrible, but essentially when you're starting the year and you have a field that's only 144 players, that means I need essentially, you know, 15 girls that are higher than me to decide not to play the event. So when I started this year, I knew like Phoenix was going to be tough for me. I would think I ended up being first alternate when they ended up canceling it. So I said, I'm going to play it probably a little bit of center just to stay sharp. And that's why you'll find girls that play both, both tours. Um, but as the year goes on, you reshuffle. So like I went to Australia and played made money, which is great. Any money you make when you're not quite up to full status will help you because they'll reshuffle like a third of the way in and take like whoever's made the most money and, you know, bump you up a little bit. And then as the year mm-hmm. goes on, as you get in the summer, it, it, having a number, pretty much everyone who's up will get to play because those top girls will start taking weeks off and not play or you'll have injuries come up and, and you're okay. But the start of the year can be a little bit tough. Um, and how it's going this year, I'm playing a little bit of both because we're going to have full-field events, but because of daylight, a full-field event's going to start to be 120 or 108 or even less, and I just know at 159 on the priority list, like I'm not gonna, I'm probably not gonna get into those events. Very interesting, and thank you for sharing that. Um, I watched the interview um, that you did uh, after winning the event with uh, the Symmetra's Media Tour uh, rep, and uh, there was something that really caught my eye in the interview. And you talked about, and I'm gonna just read out here what you said. Um, it's funny when you're single 
you don't mind being on the road. There's nothing at home. And then you get married in or in a relationship, and suddenly you're like, I want to go home. Um, you obviously at one point were single when you were first out on tour, and uh, now you're married to your husband, Johan, and we'll talk about him in a second. Um, it does make a big difference. Does he travel with you now a lot uh, or some of the time or once in a while? What's, what's the relationship as far as uh, your tour schedule goes? Yeah, it is different, and it's funny, it's funny. I never thought I'd, I'd like talk about out there when you when I first started. Like I said, I was single, and I thought it was great to go and travel, and oh, we have an off week, like let's go here, let's you know stay in Hawaii or whatever. So, but it changes, it just changes, and I think anyone who's married would understand that. You know, if you travel for work, you, you don't want to be home. So, um, yeah, so I got married in December, and his plan was to come out and caddy, not for me, but for someone else, just to get it back on tour. He's a he's a golfer as well, and. Uh, Obviously, things mm-hmm. changed, and when I came back, um, knowing my priority status, that I wouldn't get into, you know, every event. My my normal caddy that I've had for five years said, you know, Kim, I gotta, I gotta work too, which I always understand. So she's gonna go. She went to work for someone else who's gonna play the whole year, which means Johan gets mm-hmm. bumped up to to head caddy. <laughs> so now um, <laughs> he's in caddying for me, and that's not our. I don't think we want to do that. We we don't want to do that uh, long term. It's just a lot of time together, but it's been great. So he's, he'll travel pretty much now the rest of the year um, and caddy for me as we need. But his plan is really to work for someone else eventually. So this was the first time, uh, for a rather first win, because you, you had two other wins that we, we mentioned. Um, obviously, he was not the caddy, um, but no. he was this time. How did he do overall? You know, it's been fun because so I've always when I've been on LPG, I've had two caddies and they've been like seasoned veteran caddies, like just great caddies. Um, and Johan when he came and he caddied a little bit like in Europe, like for friends and stuff. It's not like he didn't know anything, but there's just little things that people don't understand that caddying is like a profession. It's not just like oh you play the Saturday game with your guys, you can be a caddy and you just carry the bag. Like there's just so much more to it than that. Um, so I've really right. seen him in these weeks just get better at little things, you know? So like that, I mean, that last day, I think twice he, like he was really confident in a club that we kind of disagreed on. And I went, and he was right, you know, and I just seeing him have confidence in what he's doing has been cool. And it makes me feel good. Cause I know when he goes out and gets the bag for someone else that he'll be, you know, a great caddy. Right. So, um, and it's, and it's just fun. It's obviously really fun to do something like that with your, with your husband on the bag. Um, we enjoyed it. You know, you have great photos that'll be there forever. So it was, it was pretty cool. And, you know, we've heard a lot of tour players over the years talk about their caddies, um, and obviously not all of them are, uh, are married or, or, um, or what have you, but um, one of the things that, that's important for them is for their caddy to understand when to step in and when not to say something. Um, do you think Johan has, has learned that since he's been helping out? Yeah, yeah, much better. I think that thing too can be easier for me. Maybe some girls disagree, but for me, that's easier when he is my husband. I think it's it, it is hard. Like I say, caddying can be so hard, and I mean, you just you need someone who a obviously is good at the actual job, the numbers, the you know managing a golf course. You also mm-hmm. need someone that, like personally, you get like I always say, it's like dating someone. You got like I spend more time with my caddy than than I do my husband normally. So you got to get along. Right. They got to understand you. Um, it's literally like a relationship. Mm-hmm. I and mean, we've had many caddies or girls and like, we've hooked up like me and my caddy hooked up like players and caddies before thinking this is going to be great. This is going to be perfect. 
total disaster. They're like, man, I couldn't stand that guy, <laughs> which is just like if you hook them up on a blind date sometimes, you're like, that should have worked really well. Like you guys have so much in common. Right. Terrible. So it is literally like trying to find, I mean, these poor girls are trying to find a boyfriend and they're trying to find a caddy. Like it's, it's, it's hard. So I agree. I mean, it, it is hard to know when to say something or not to, but the best caddies I've had have always, they're always consistent. Um, that's what I'll say. The two caddies, they're always consistent. You know, I'll say my, my normal caddy, Audrey, she could give me, for sake of, she could give me six strong clubs in a row, but we get up to that seventh hole and she's still going to confidently tell me what club. Um, you know, not, right. I think you get a lot of caddies that will suddenly go like just to start to agree, call like a yes caddy. Can't do that. You know, you got to be confident every hole, um, no matter how mm-hmm. many mistakes you've made or, you know, how bad the round is going. So, but it's a tough job. Right. I mean, I probably, I mean, you say people think caddy and they're out there carrying the bag, but it, it is not an easy job. No, it's not. Uh, I can attest to that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it's not. It, it, you're right. It's not. It's not just carrying the bag. Uh, there's a lot that that goes into it, and, and that'll we'll save that for another show. But, um, well, it's exciting. You know, really, yeah, it's exciting that he was able to to not only be there and and you know do that function for you, but he was obviously there to experience the win with you as well. So it kind of feels extra special for him too, right? Yes. Oh, I think so for sure. Um, like I say, he's, you know, he's out here. We, when we're home in Fort Worth, we practice. He practices with me all the time. I say he's my practice coach. Um, you, you know, and then usually I go off and I do it and I get to enjoy the, you know, I, I get to reap the rewards. So he got to be there with me because he's put in a ton of time with me during this time off as well. So um, it was fun for him to actually, you know, be a part of it, like a real part of it, stand up there and, you know, hold a trophy with me. So I think he, uh, I think he enjoyed that a lot. What do you like to do for fun? outside of golf when when the golf clubs are are you know in the garage or wherever they're stored um what else do you like to do um i can do i go through times where i can do a lot of yoga i do a lot of yoga at home and on the road we love to watch like our texas tech sports um he loves to watch the nfl and the nba but we're, we're pretty big sports people obviously um you know we're home we just just do like normal people things, which you probably hear from a lot of girls. Like, I mean, I'll go to the grocery store today and mm-hmm. I haven't been to the grocery store really in seven weeks. Like that's exciting for me. Like I'm pretty excited about that. Cook, <laughs> make, cook meals, like have a routine. Like it sounds really weird, but when you live out of a suitcase, you just want to come home. And I think maybe more of a female thing. You just want to come home and kind of like, sure. I don't know, be homey. I guess. So, um, but you know, we just catch, we catch up with our friends. We catch up with our neighbors that we haven't seen. We'll try to, you know, we'll hit a couple dinners. We'll, um, you know, just, uh, you say just normal life. It's nothing crazy and exciting. I don't have any, like, you know, Oh, I come home and I, you know, make pottery. Like there's nothing crazy going on, but just right. be a normal, a normal person. We always say, do you find it challenging? This was something that we talked about. Um, I believe last week on the show, um, you mentioned a little bit ago that you, you know, this is seven events in a, in, in a row, uh, which can be very daunting, uh, schedule. Um, and, and what was interesting is the player that we talked to last week said that around four or five events for them in a row is about where they, where they start to peak out any more than that. And it gets just a little bit too much. Are you like that as well? Or does that bother you? I mean, the more events, the better, you don't really get tired out or do you feel four or five events in a row is okay. That's, that's my limit. I need a break and then I'll come back and, you know, play three or four more events. Yeah, no, I think she's definitely right. I think you do have a limit. So my original goal, my original intention was to go play the first semester event in Battle Creek, 
play two LPGA events in Toledo and play a semester event in Mesa, play four events. So I go to Battle Creek mm-hmm. and we finished fourth and it was just so fun to play and to compete after like, you know, six months off. I looked at Johan and I said, we're just, let's just keep playing. Like, let's go. Like we were just all jacked up. So I signed up for all the rest of the events. And if, yeah, about four weeks in, we're in Phoenix playing. It's 125. And I was like, what are we doing? Like, this is, this was a terrible <laughs> idea. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, but I knew, and I've been out here long enough. I played eight, I played eight in a row once in the LPGA. And I just knew like, even the LPGA event in Arkansas that we played was a Friday start. So we had almost all three day events. So you, you just have to be really diligent, like no golf on Monday. I don't care how bad you think you're hitting it or what you think you need to do, you know, light days, you know, maybe on Tuesday. So really took our time, but it's funny. I got to battle Creek and I, my metal coach asked me on the night before she said, you know, how do you feel? Like, you know, what do you think you need? And I said, I think the biggest thing this week is that it's the seventh week and I'm just, I'm tired. And, you know, I just, I'm kind of ready to like pack in and go home and, you know, she's like, all right, well, but it's still, you know, a good week to have a good week. And, you know, funny enough, that's the week I played the best, but it's a lot mental, but I think ideally, yes, three, four weeks, five weeks max is really kind of the sweet spot. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, there, because it gets to the point where exhaustion starts to set in <clears throat> and then, then you're not, not only physically not feeling at your best, but then mentally things start to happen where, um, you know, you, you almost become a little bit lethargic in some, I mean, yeah. I've heard some of the girls say that in the past where, you know, they, they've suddenly developed a little, little bit of brain fog, uh, because they've just been yeah. playing so yeah. much and they're out there. And especially when you get into the summer months, when you're out there in that heat and you've played, cause I know last year they had, I think it was seven or eight events, uh, in the Symmetra that were strung together and almost every yeah. uh, player that we had come on the show afterwards said the same thing. They said, we were just exhausted and I wish I hadn't have played all seven events and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And it just got to the point where, um, you know, they said, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. So uh, I was just curious to your thoughts on that. Some people, they, they thrive on the adrenaline and they just love to be out there compete. And it could be three events, five events, 10 events. Um, they're going to be out there. Um, so very interesting, yeah. uh, very interesting take. Go ahead. I've always struggled. When I started playing on tour, these girls would take, Girls, you know, the top girls take weeks off, and I and I always felt like there's kind of two schools of thought. Like you can you you earn those weeks, like you those girls have earned those mm-hmm. weeks off because they play great. And other girls, like you got if you have, I haven't earned those weeks off yet. That's why I've always been one to play. But I have tried at times to say, Kim, you got to take a week. But like on Symmetra especially, but in the LPGA, you know, it becomes it's so few dollars between you know a girl getting her card, mm-hmm. you know, tenth and eleventh, or this year, you know. So you just you know look back and go. God, I could have just went and played that event and at least just made the cut. You know, that could have right. all the difference. So I'm one who says you got to earn those weeks off. And other girls think, nope, I just need to stick to my schedule and take them off when I need them. So I think there's two schools of thought there. And not that either's right or either's wrong, but I definitely kind of lean towards the latter. I think I got to earn those, um, which I didn't feel like I had yet. I mean, say we've been home for six months. I thought, gosh, am I really going to play three weeks and go home again? Like, I'm tired of standing on that putting green doing putting drills at home. So. We, uh, right. <laughs> we made it. I thought it was still, it was the right decision, you know, for this time being, but normally, yes, three to four weeks would be, would be ideal. Well, I think you know your body and you know what your limitations are. And, you know, yeah. I think you're, you're able to push when you need to push and, and pull back when you need to pull back. But, um, well, Kim, yep. thank you very much for joining me, um, this morning. And again, congratulations on your win at the four wins invitational. Um, where are you heading off to next? I will go to Portland for the LPGA event next week, and then I will go and likely play the two semester events in Florida. Perfect. So good well, three good luck stretch, just and, like we like. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. Well, if you win uh, uh, another uh, Symmetra event, uh, 
we're happy to have you come back on, and hopefully this time Cindy will be able to join us as well. I would love that. I hope I am. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, not a problem. Good luck and, and enjoy your time off. Thanks. Bye. All right. That was our uh, very special guest to start things off, Kim Kaufman, uh, winner of this past weekend's Symmetra Tour event, the Four Winds Invitational. Uh, and uh, as I see, our, our second guest is ready to jump on board. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Uh, her name is Rebecca Heinmert. She's been uh, on the show actually before. And uh, she grew up in Sweden and was a member of the Swedish national golf team for five years. Uh, she's based now in San Francisco's East Bay, uh, played in three NCAA championships for uh, San Jose State. Uh, she's a three-time uh, academic All-American, went on to play professionally on the LPGA's Futures, or now Symmetra Tour, and has been a member of the LPGA Teaching and Club Professionals Division since 2004. So please uh, help me welcome my very special guest uh, on the second half here, Rebecca Heinmert. Good morning, Rebecca. And Hi welcome. there. Good morning. How are you? I'm glad to. I'm doing very well, and I'm glad to have you on. And as uh, I know you're aware, Cindy, unfortunately, was not able to uh, join us this morning. She's uh, playing off in an event uh, for charity, I believe. So she uh, sends her, her best and her apologies for not being able to join us. But uh, I think she, uh, I think she told you she left you in good hands. We'll, we'll see by the end of the interview. But uh, thank you for, thank you for, for joining me. Um, of course. So thank you for having me. I, I know that you. Uh, my pleasure. Um, so I know you've been on the show before, so you, you kind of understand how things work. But um, I know you you came on board uh, this morning a little bit before um, you came on, and you were able to hear our last guest a little bit talk about some things. And one of the things that, that we were talking about was some of the challenges while playing on tour. Um, what were some of the challenges you played for a period on the Symmetra Tour, uh, or at that time it was called the Futures Tour? What were some of the challenges mm-hmm. for you? Oh, I very much related to what Kim was saying about the scheduling and um, not kind of allowing yourself to take a break or, you know... Um, a lot of times it, it ended up being sort of a game time decision where how you were feeling and how you were playing and I think how excited you were for the next tournament. Um, and sometimes it was also kind of like, well, I need to take this week off because I haven't been playing well and I need to figure something out and I need to start making some money on the next few events. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. right. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, I can very much relate to that. Um, I... Uh, when I started playing at first, um, this was pretty early on, like after I graduated college, and, you know, I just didn't have any money. Um, I think a lot of people don't know at the time, and I don't know what it is actually right now, but it was 500 bucks to play each tournament, and that sounded like, mm-hmm. at the time, was a lot of money. Um, right. And then just even traveling around, and, you know, I had a, um, I had a, Ford Escort, <laughs> um, which wasn't the best car for traveling around the country, I'll tell you that. Um, so I ended up flying out a lot from California to, and then I would, uh, you know, hitch a ride with somebody else and just pay that person for for gas, and hopefully I en- enlivened the conversation a little bit, um, and we kind of traveled together. 
Um, but, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely, like, it was a money struggle a lot of the time, you know, like, um, and I think part of that is, you know, it's a catch-22, right? It was, I don't think mm-hmm. I'd ever really wished I was, I was a dude, but um, sometimes <laughs> when I was, because um, I had to, like, I had to raise money to, to go. I, I, I made a plan for three years, and I mm-hmm. wanted to raise um, 75000 I think it was, and um, which at the time, again, felt like such a humongous amount of money. Um, but I had made this massive spreadsheet about how much money I think I needed to travel for the year. And so I added up mm-hmm. all the entry fees, all the travel, all the, you know, food, you know, what was my budget per day, things like that. <laughs> And I just, <laughs> I think I still have those spreadsheets somewhere. It's like pretty interesting. Um, I think it's pretty enlightening. Um, just, you know, and then I had about 10 or something people that ended up helping me and they, they each gave me about like five grand and I was just like overjoyed wow. and I was like, oh my goodness, I can actually yeah. like maybe do this for <laughs> at least two years, you know? So I cut right. that out and then, um, um, you know, my parents were not in a situation where they could really help me financially. So it was really all I traveled on my own. I was over here, you know, my parents in Sweden. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just, um, I think there's something to be said for, you know, a lot of support is best. <laughs> I mean, the well, more sure. support you, you know- can have, whether it's, whether it's financial or emotional, um, coaching, um, you know, the more you can have, the better, because you need it, because it's a lonely road, you need somebody to call, <laughs> you know, it's, um, right. so, and at the time, you well, know, we didn't have, iPhones were just coming out, so, like, we didn't even, like, right. have a, a proper way to, like, send videos. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me think about that well, for a second. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and for you, it was doubly difficult because your family was overseas. You know, some of the other girls that are from the United States as they're traveling around and some of them buddy up and that, but uh, a lot of them have family uh, that can mm-hmm. uh, make the trek to some, not all of them, but to some of the tournaments. So they're able to, um, you obviously didn't have that uh, same advantage um, as, as some of the others. So I can imagine it, it could get very, very lonely at times. I mean, obviously you have your fellow tour players that you can uh, kind of buddy up with, as you said, in some travel and, and so forth. But again, it, you know, it, it, you, you couldn't just pick up the phone and say, I'm going to call overseas to my parents and see how they're doing. Right. Uh, you had to make sure it was, it was built into the budget, you know. And, yeah, uh, for sure. Sometimes, um, you know. And then also, like, when you, if you're not playing well, it, you don't want to be, like, the negative person and always, like, unload on the person that you're traveling with. So you really kind of have to be careful right. with that as well because you don't want to drag somebody else down. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I didn't have um, – I, you know, looking back, I probably didn't have the best um, setup in terms of, like, my game and where it was. Um, I didn't really understand my game that well. Um, I wish I – would have, you know, I think if looking back, um, a few years later, I, um, I remember going to this track man seminar and I just had this, you know, epiphany about my swing and my game and why I couldn't, um, cause my struggle was always hitting greens in regulation. Like I could putt 
really well. I could, you know, I could stay in the fairway reasonably. I wasn't the longest player, but hitting greens was kind of like my downfall. So I would hit, let's say, like mm-hmm. 10, 10 greens or something like that on average, which is super low. So I would just travel right. it around. And then whenever I hit like 14 greens or plus, I would shoot under par. <laughs> Right. Um, so it was like kind of a, a hit or miss, and so that was that was a constant like kind of battle. Like that was probably my biggest struggle, you know, as a player. Um, and then sometimes sort of shooting myself in the foot a little bit. Like when I was playing well, then I would like, oh, I'm playing well. Let's make a double. <laughs> right. Um, or something like that. <laughs> and so that was. <laughs> Um, that was uh, the biggest thing for me. And then after, you know, after I quit playing and started teaching and I started kind of educating myself a little bit more, I was like, oh my gosh, my, it's no wonder I couldn't hit my long irons. My, uh, my swing path is like 10 degrees inside out. <laughs> hmm. And I was always hooking the ball when I missed it. And I was like, oh, I think I'm coming over the top. Uh, no, <laughs> you're coming way too from the inside. And, you know, it was, that was like a big, that was a big thing. Like we didn't have access to things like that at the time. Um, that would have been, I think, pretty amazing looking back. Well, you know? well, in technology, yeah, there's the, exactly, there's so much available now um, mm-hmm. to the, to the, not really only the tour players, but so even the, much. oh yeah. And, and I wanted to, I wanted to get on that for just a second here because you, you talk about here, that um you know on tour you struggled um a lot of the times you found yourself becoming very frustrated um with your game um really didn't understand okay what can i do to get myself better you didn't have access to a lot of what's available today uh to be able to help guide you along um and you know even though you practice hard you did all the things you thought you needed to do it just wasn't gelling for you at that time um, and then you, you go on to say that, um, you know, you wanted to understand from a teaching perspective um, and see if that would help. So what were some of the things, not so much physically, but overall with your game, now as you look at it through the eyes or the lens of a teaching professional, what were some of the things that you saw that you were doing um, that weren't serving you as well as it could have? Well, I think, um, you know, looking back, actually this year, I, when we had the three months, there was three months this spring I didn't work. I wasn't, uh, we were on quarantine over here in Northern Cal, so I didn't teach mm-hmm. at all. So I cleaned out my iPhoto library, and I came across some really old videos of myself on, on, and my swing, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I started watching that a little bit, and sure enough, you know, I was like, wow, that was, that's First of all, I'm I'm very flexible, like like most I would say young girls, um, very very mobile in the shoulders, um, and you know looking back, it's it, it really would have um, uh, helped me to have more stability on my body, mm-hmm. um, and I think I did understand that at the time, but I didn't have a plan. Um, you know, I made my own little workout plans and stuff like that. But that's not quite the same as um, having somebody help you. Although I did have somebody help me kind of, you know, a little bit. But, um, but it, you know, yeah. So, you know, that, that was, that's one aspect of it. Um, because you do also need to have the, 
you know, physical stamina to be out there. Like, like Kim was saying about, you know, being out there for six weeks, mm-hmm. like that takes some, that takes some, um, you need to be in shape. Like it's not, you, you can't be walking around tired. <laughs> that's not, that's not help you at all either. Um, but I think the, well, and me- I think the swing, and swing well, was right? definitely, I'm sorry. And mentally as well. I mean, the physical obviously is first and foremost, you've got to, you know, be in pretty good shape to to have that stamina, but also mentally as well. I mean, six, seven weeks in a row out there, mm-hmm. you know, multiple days each each event, um, and then you you know throw on some you know wonderful heat and humidity um, yeah. that drains, <laughs> which I'm sure yeah, you've experienced many times. Yeah, we actually had a times. lot of rain delays. Like that's like one of the big memories that I have from playing out there was that we had so many rain delays one season. It was crazy. We just sat around playing trivia games um, and, you know, talking. But, um, yeah, I would say that was definitely one part. I would say the swing, you know, like hitting, not understanding my swing enough that I could help correct it. Um, And when somebody was trying to help me, I still didn't quite understand, like, why. So, you know, there's there's a, you know, when somebody tells you or tries to help you, but doesn't really give you the reason why something is happening. Um, for mm. me, that's always been, um, I think, a, hard, a, a harder change to make, you know? Like, why am I making right. this change? Like, I don't know why. <laughs> so I, didn't, it, it, I just didn't connect the dots at the time, looking back on, on where my swing was. And then I think the third one was just the confidence, like, and playing and finishing out your round strong. Like, when you had a good round going – actually kind of just going, like, keeping it going. Like, oh, it's okay to be two under. Like, this is not your best. Like, you can get to four. Or you can get to five. Right. You know, like, whatever it was. You know, like, because that, you know, that did, I mean, it, you play a lot of golf, and, you know, you're, at the, you know, at the time, like, you're not happy shooting even par anymore. Like, you're just kind of, I just no. want to go low, right? So you're mm-hmm. you're always looking for, like, but you can't force it. You just kind of have to let it happen too. Like it, it, there's no, that's the thing with golf, right? Like you can't make it happen, uh, but you can struggle around and shoot 73 all day long. <laughs> that's possible. Right. Um, and not get anything going, you know, like it's kind of like sort of hitting a wall and sort of hitting your head a little bit all the time. And so having that, that, um, you know, vision 54 type mentality where, you know, you can birdie every single hole. Um, I would say that I grew up with that mentality, but there's also, if there's nobody around you to remind you about that, um, it's right, a very, exactly. you get away from it a little bit. Well, and I think for a lot of amateur players, you know, it's hard enough for the pros to to do that, but they've they've got those individuals in their circle to sort of fall back on, especially in today's game with um, not only swing coaches, but mental coaches and fitness coaches and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Whereas the average player, you know, doesn't have as easily accessible uh, to that type of, um, you know, input, if you will. And one of the things that I know I wanted to mention too, is, um, you know, you've now gone on to become a, a teaching professional, um, from being a player to that transition and you're um, actually the founder of on the course golf performance. And one of the goals you talk about is really to help them play better on the course. And, and Kim talked about this earlier on as well, that even she as a, as a, as a golf professional, as a player, 
struggles with this from time to time where she's hitting it really well out in the, on the driving range, but then when she transitions to the course, it's like, well, what happened to that person that was just hitting these wonderful shots 10 minutes ago? Um, and yeah. you want people, right? And that's something that a lot of amateurs struggle with is how do I take my range game out of the golf course? And you're helping yeah. them do that to become more, more efficient with strategies and so forth. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, if there was one thing I could tell, you know, every person that I teach about is that, you know, it's in, improving their input in terms of not necessarily the amount of shots they're hitting, but actually mem- uh, memorizing or actually um, associating their good shots with themselves. So, like, when you hit a good shot, um, I have, I've had plenty of golfers over the year that hit a good shot on the range, so they're like, yeah, just like that. And then they just like look back at me. Like they never even like look at the shot or enjoy it. Um, they're kind of just like, that's the, that's their expectation of how they want to hit it. Right. So, um, and instead of actually like when I hit a shot that I enjoy or that I really liked, Oh, I want to, I want to see it. I want to feel it. I want to take it in. Right. Because Mm -hmm. I want to anchor that into my body that that is what my, what I want more of. And you know as well as I know that you rem- mm-hmm. you remember um, the shots that you put emotion to, and whether that is right. a positive or a negative emotion, it doesn't really matter. So you want to be really careful with you know when you hit a poor shot that when you add let's say anger or disappointment to that, that's going to go into your nervous system and you're going to remember that the next time you have a similar situation. And mm-hmm. that's the thing, like, when you're trying, you know, a lot of people come to me and they want to change things, right, uh, in their swing. They mm-hmm. want to improve. Um, and it's not an easy process. That's a, it's a very, um, in a way, it's a very vulnerable process. And I think we don't talk right. about that a lot. But it's, but it's something that it kind of lays bare a little bit of, of somebody's um, ability to stay patient and also persistence, right? Because you have to have a little bit of both when you're making a change. And I can look back on myself as well. Like when I was working on my swing, you know, growing up in Sweden in the wintertime, I was always trying to make uh, technical adjustments because in the wintertime you have to stay inside in Sweden and practice indoors. So it's actually a great time to, to work on technique and you didn't get so caught up in the outcome because you're just hitting into a net. So it was actually a really great way to make a change. Um, but over here, we're, we're very much, we see the shots and um, we get very much attached to the outcome versus the process. And I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's one thing that I see a lot of people struggling with, that they take in um, a lot of the poor shots that they're hitting. Um, and a lot of times also, like when you're trying to change a motor pattern, you, you're building um, new pathways in your in your body and in, in your muscles. So you're you have to allow it to take some time. Like it's not going to take just one lesson. Like it's just um, it's it doesn't. And I think people that say that, I think yes, you can definitely have in, you know massive insights and stuff like that during a lesson. But to actually make it ingrained and have it show up on the course, it takes more than that. Like you need to have the the practice on the range, you have to have the transfer training on the course, um, which is, I think, is a step a lot of people forget about. 
Um, mm. Yeah, so I, there's a lot to it. And so one of the things that I, um, I do with my students that sign up for a series of lessons is that I provide ongoing support um, through an, an app where so every time they have a lesson, they come in and I post um, a video uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, some notes for them. So, like, here's kind of what we covered in the lesson. Here's what you need to practice. Because, you know, you have a lesson with somebody and they're probably, you retain a smaller part of that, right? And so right, exactly. if you can kind of go back and look over your videos and, okay, here's the notes. I remember two out of three things, <laughs> let's say, right? <laughs> and then you can kind of, like, right. remind yourself, oh, this is what I need to, you know, focus on. Because it's so easy, like most golfers are very creative people. It's a mm-hmm. creative game. And sometimes I think we forget that as well, that, you know, golf is, and it's so easy to go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> like, oh, this right. is something good. Let me try that again. <laughs> well, I don't uh-huh. know. Um, and that might be, you know, something completely different than where you actually are supposed to be doing, according to your instructor. <laughs> um, well, so, and, and I you think... Know, yeah, and I think mm-hmm. you know one of the things that I, I joke with uh, about uh, with Cindy on the show over the years is you know going back to what you were saying about on on the range and uh, you know thoughts. I think one of the biggest problems that most amateurs have is, and I equate this to you know when you're going to the airport. Um, when you go to the airport, what are you doing? Is you're 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 pulling or you're dragging all your baggage in order to get ready for your flight. And I equate that the same way with uh, many golfers out there is they're pulling all of their baggage to the first tee. So if they didn't hit well on the range or they maybe hit a bad round, mm-hmm. uh, you know, last weekend, they're bringing all of that with them. So instead of getting over there and focusing on the shot at hand, they're thinking about that bad round or they're thinking I didn't hit those last five, you know, drives on the practice tee uh, very well. And that's why I equate it with, you know, bringing your baggage with you is that's where I think a lot of it, you know, I've seen a lot of, as I'm sure you have, I've seen a lot of golfers come up and say, well, you know, I'm just not, I'm not playing well. And I think there's a problem and I, I need, you know, really look at my swing and they'll get up on the practice tee and, you know, they'll hit a half a dozen or a dozen balls. And I'm thinking, well, what is it you need me to change? You know, you hit eight out of 10 pretty straight and yeah, you had a couple of bad ones, but overall your swing's pretty good. Well, I'm just not scoring well. And I said, well, maybe it's not that you're not hitting the ball well. Maybe it's something in your strategy out on the golf course. And lo and behold, when we go out for a playing lesson, that's when all the wheels fall off the bus. It's not that they're not hitting good shots. It's just they don't know how to put them together. And they don't know how to think their way around the golf course. Um, Mm -hmm. When you deal with a player like that, Rebecca, that is hitting a pretty decent ball, you don't want to change and mix up their swing, and now suddenly they're not hitting it very good because you've changed everything, you want them to take those good ball striking techniques and and now apply it out in the golf course. What do you do in a case like that? Well, yeah, I mean, I would talk to them about pre-shot routines. Um, That tends Mm -hmm. to help a lot. Um, And sometimes they also have a very one-dimensional short game. Um, so they get close to the green, and the only thing that they know to do is to take out their pitching wedge or sand wedge. Um, 
Yeah, I had a I had a woman the other day, and uh, she I said, you know, you're you can get your sand wedge from other places than the bunker. So right. that's that's one small thing, and she's like, oh, okay, cool. You know, she was like, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, like I don't know. I grew up with using some different clubs around the greens and um, trying to minimize mistakes around the greens because I think. You know, a lot of as long as you can kind of move the ball around a little bit, um, if you can putt and chip a little bit, you know, at least decent and know where to miss it, you know, short versus long, um, you know, avoiding that big bunker that is on the right hand side, <laughs> whatever it is, right? Um, managing your game mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, but a lot of times it also comes down to like the self talk and right. losing your cool. Like, I have a lot of students that kind of like, she's like, you know, the other day I had a guy, he's like, well, I, I had one bad drive, and it kind of affected me on the next hole. Well, that's great insight, mm-hmm. isn't it? Because as, as yep. long as somebody kind of has the, you know, I actually had him um, read one of my favorite golf books, and um, it, it really talks about the, the kind of the culture of golfers and how easy like we get into our head. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he was clear enough to share with me that um, he was, he, you know, he let the last hole get to him. And I said, you know, like, that's so great that you're noticing that because you're going to catch yourself quicker next time and you'll be able to, you know, let it slide off a little bit more. And, um, and same thing, I had another guy who's like, you know, he's like, I'm noticing that when I don't play well, I sort of push it more. Like I try to, mm-hmm. you know, kill the ball. <laughs> and <laughs> he said, you know, when I try to kind of like lay off a little bit and smooth it out, I do so much better. And I was like, he's like, what am I going to do? And I said, well, that's great that you're noticing because next time that happens, you'll be able to catch yourself quicker. And I think a lot of times it's about that. It's about catching yourself. But I think when we're sort of like in our headspace and we're not as present as we could be, it's a much harder mm-hmm. thing to do. Um, and so, you know, those are some of the things that, you know, I talk a lot about staying present. You know, I think we have tendencies as players to either kind of go into the past, like into our past message or our past baggage, mm-hmm. right? Or we go into the future right. and say to ourselves, oh, if I birdie these next three holes, I'll shoot. <laughs> 67 <laughs> uh, or whatever right. it is, right? I'll beat my record. And um, I well, think that's where we talk ourselves into making mistakes. Well, there's three. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's really three levels. There's what's happened in the past, which you cannot change, and what's going to happen in the future, which hasn't happened yet. So there's really only now that you're dealing with. And you're right. Uh, players either, as I mentioned earlier, you know, drag their baggage to every hole or to every shot or they start thinking two or three holes ahead and think, well, okay, if I, if I birdie number 12 and if I, uh, you know, par the three holes after mm-hmm. that, I'm going to shoot a pretty good round. And instead they're standing on, you know, number 11 T and they're not focusing on the shot at hand. So you're right. Sometimes we have to get out of our own way and you know, it's not an easy thing and it's good when people are able to see for themselves what it is they're doing wrong uh, and, and self-correct. But uh, I think the biggest thing is a lot of people take too much information with them on the golf course 
you know, when you're in a practice session and you're working on different aspects with your, with your coach or your instructor, you know, that's the time to ask the questions. That's the time to, to work on all the different fundamentals and the different areas of your game that need to be worked on. But once you uh, go to the golf course to actually play around and you're just warming up, that's what you need to do. Warm up and whatever you've got that day on, on, the, pra- uh, on the, uh, the driving range, that's what you're going to take. And, and you make, you know, adjustments accordingly uh, based on how you're hitting the ball. Don't start monkeying with the swing and tinkering with your grip and all that kind of stuff because that's what adds to the levels of frustration for, for many, many golfers. Um, Rebecca, I hate to yeah, say this, and I think also time. like from yeah, yeah, I would agree with that because I think a lot of times where um, whatever shows up that morning is what you have, and the thing is, it's right. usually not that different from what you usually have. <laughs> so, so no. you can play no. <laughs> that, and you know that's okay that you can play that. Maybe the first two holes you hit a little bit of a fade, but then you will get warmed up. You know, whatever it is that you know is your normal Ooh. shot. Right, exactly, and I think that's what people need to understand, and that's what tour players understand. They're not going there when they're warming up before a tournament, um, you know, making all kinds of swing adjustments. Now, they may go after a round and do some things on the range and, and tweak a few things here and there, but they're not making monumental swing changes right before they're about ready to tee it up, uh, you know, at the, uh, the U.S. Open or, you know, or, or you know whatever championship no. they're about to play. So, you know... Um, well, Rebecca, as I said, we're, we're out of time, but I appreciate you, you coming on, and I've enjoyed our, our discussion. And I want to just give you a quick moment if you want to let the folks know if they want to reach out to you, uh, either with uh, maybe some lessons, if they're interested in taking lessons with you, or if they just want to reach out and, and maybe pick your brains a little bit about the game, how, what's the best way that they can reach you? Uh, probably on my website. So it's my full name. So it's www.rebeccaheimer.com. And I offer lessons here in, um, as you said, the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm in the East Bay at a golf course called Blue Rock Springs. And I also mm-hmm. offer online lessons um, through the Coach Now app, and, uh, which has been really fun. That's something I've been focusing a little bit more on this year with uh, not having to teach or being able to teach in the spring. And it's pretty cool how um, a couple of my students have been able to make some really great changes in their game. And, um, yeah, so that's definitely available as well. Perfect. Well, Rebecca, thank you very much for um, joining me this morning, and hopefully uh, uh, you had a good time. And I promise the next time you come on the show, I'll make a point of insisting that Cindy uh, is present as well. But uh, thank you very much for joining (laughs) and sharing some of your wisdom. And and, uh, please, if you're talking to her, tell her that I did a pretty good job on my own. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoyed it. All right. Thank you very much, Rebecca, and uh, much continued success this season, and stay safe. All right. Thanks. You as well. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest, Rebecca Heimert, uh, LPJ uh, Teach Professional out in the uh, East Bay uh, area of San Francisco, and uh, you can get a hold of her at www.rebecca, and Rebecca is R-E-B-E-C-K-A, Heimert, H-E-I-N-M-E-R-T.com. I want to thank everybody, and uh, particularly want to thank uh, both of my guests, uh, Kim Kaufman and Rebecca Heimert, for joining me this morning. And I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of the Women of Golf. And I will be back, as will Cindy, next week uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Um, Hope you tune in. God bless everybody. Stay safe and have a great week.
Thanks for listening this morning to the Women of Golf Show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. If you can't join us live, check out our on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. To get updates for future shows and upcoming guests, you can follow us on Facebook at Women of Golf. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO and Cindy at Cindy Miller Golf. Please remember to join us next week on the Women of Golf Show. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.